Greetings in the mighty name of Jesus. Good morning. I'll be talking to you about going through the storm, speaking to you from the book of Acts, chapter 27. There won't be the time to read all of that this morning, so let me give you a brief summary of what happened. It tells us the story of when the Apostle Paul was with a group sailing on their way to Rome, where he was to stand trial before Caesar. He and other prisoners were put into the care of a Roman centurion named Julius. At a certain point in the journey, Paul warned them not to sail on. They didn't listen and continued anyway. Their ship encountered a heavy storm, and eventually off the coast of what we now know today as Malta, the ship struck a soundbar, it broke into pieces, but miraculously, all 276 passengers escaped with their lives and scrambled their way to shore. So we're going to look at some lessons of what we can learn from this story. What we can learn about how we can stand strong as believers and cope in difficult times. So let's get into it. Let's set the scene and have a look at the four verses of Acts chapter 27. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the Lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. Now, before I go into it further, what intrigues me about this story is that in which the, the, the centurion relates to Paul. He clearly likes and respects Paul. He allowed Paul, the prisoner, to go see his friends. How about that? Even when Paul was treated as a captive, good relations was established. Paul had a way of uh, relating to others. He knew the culture just as we know ours. Paul knew how to be approachable. It serves to remind us that how, as how we as Christians, we relate to the world around us is vitally important if we are to be used by God to reach the world around us with the good news of Jesus Christ. After all, we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved by him. But good character traits will not just come on us. You and the high have to make the conscious choice with the guidance of the Holy Spirit to walk in those traits. What are those traits? The Bible says that we clothe or we put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Colossians 3 verse 12. Yes, those are attractive qualities, born of the Holy Spirit, qualities that people will be drawn to. But also those qualities have to be enveloped or wrapped up in love. But what do we mean by love? Well, it starts by loving yourself. And uh, obviously, I'm not talking about any kind of selfish or self-centered way, but rather seeing yourself the way God sees you. 
the Bible says that we are sons and joint heirs in Christ Jesus. David writes in Psalms 139.14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm feeling that some of you need to be reminded of that this morning. If you feel that way at the moment, let me remind you. You and I are wonderfully made. Amen? From there, we can love each other's other as brothers and sisters in the Lord, building relationships that can stand the test of time with patience and tolerance. Colossians 3 verse 12 tells us to bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That is the foundation of relationships that build into strong, solid, emotional friendships. Also, just like Paul demonstrated, there is a selfless love. The Greeks had a word for it. They called it agape. The world needs that kind of love from us as the church, especially in the times that we're now living in. Another interesting thing to note was that Paul moved in these qualities mentioned before the storm came. Reading further on in this chapter, we read that because of the way Paul had conducted himself with Julius the Centurion, it not only saved his life, but all of the other prisoners on the ship, not because of the shipwreck, but because the soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners to stop them from escaping. The takeaway point for that, from that for us is church. We have no idea how far our light of the Holy Spirit may take us in this world or where it may lead to. Just let it shine in your hearts, in our speech, in our conduct. Paul's experience here reminds us of how important it is to stay in constant communication with the Father so that we may know what the right decisions are to be made. By then, they had managed to sail to a place called Fair Havens. Paul warned them that the journey would be dangerous. It could cost them their ship. Paul was a seasoned traveler. I suppose he had a lot of sailing experiences, didn't he? Going on so many missions trips. But there's more to it than that. There is a reason why it's mentioned in verse 9 that it was a time just after the fast. Although Paul was a follower of Jesus, Paul was also an observant Jew. You see, the fast refers to an annual um, observance in the Jewish calendar called Yom Kippur, a day in which is observed by an intense time of fasting and prayer. The point I'm trying to make here is that even before embarking on the ship, even before the storm, whilst on the ship, in that storm, Paul was prayed up. He was in constant communication with the Father through the Holy Spirit. He discerned that this journey they were deciding to make to Phoenix was doomed. Here's the parallel in our own lives. We as individual believers and as a church have to be in tune with how God is moving during the times we live in. When God wants us to move, we move. And sometimes God will say no to us. On the surface, what the sailors wanted to do was actually quite reasonable. Phoenix was a large town, so there was more to do, 
more entertainment. It was better protected from the weather. The ideal place to be while they waited out the winter. Their reasons for wanting to go were actually quite valid. But the problem was God wanted them to stay. In our lives, it may be that the journey to get to that objective, and you know, it may even be a legitimate one, is too hazardous. God often tells us to wait because, figuratively speaking, the weather outside is not right for the journey. Many of us have, have some very important decisions to make. Whatever that decision is for you, wait on the Lord, but stay connected to him. The angel of God in verse 24 said to Paul, Do not be afraid. You must stand trial before Caesar. You see, Paul had an ordained purpose, just as we do. That's what happens when our thoughts and intentions line up with God's will and by submitting uh, ourselves fully to the Lord. Proverbs 16.3 tells us to commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. His way of thinking has got to become yours and my way of thinking. The key method of communicating with God absolutely is prayer. In addition to that, when we need direction, the Bible gives us several different ways in through which every possible decision in life taken should be judged. Now, I'm not saying that this is an all-encompassing list, but all or a combination of these will surely help. But number one, Scripture. Know the Word of God for yourself. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's from 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. Second, the Holy Spirit speaking in your heart. Do you know that we can train ourselves to hear the voice of God? It means that certain habits and patterns in our lives that uh, you know, we, have, we have to let go in order for that to happen. Though. Third, is the peace of God. God gives you this peace. When you make the right choice, he drops that feeling into your heart. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Colossians 3.15. Number four is the prophetic, and that is receiving a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, personal prophecy from someone. We have to be careful and examine what we hear, though. So in order to get something out of this one, I refer you back to the previous three points. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21 tells us, Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. 5 is godly counsel. And Scripture says, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 11:14. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Matthew 18, 6, 16. Next, I want to raise this. When the storm comes, be the ones to remain calm and offer encouragement. In Acts 27, verse 22, Paul told his fellow passengers on that ship to keep your 
courage because not one of you will be lost. As I said earlier, because Paul was prayed up, he had the confidence in his communication with the Lord. And with the message he got from the Lord, he became the voice of encouragement on the ship. Now, in the few years I've been on this earth, I don't recall anything as strange or as unsettling as the time where we are now going through as a result of this pandemic. But whatever the difficulties that you, me, the church, uh, our nation, or this world is facing or about to face, I want to remind you that God is still in control. Even in all this, he is with us, just like he was with Paul and the passengers on that ship. The world needs to hear what we have to say. That is bringing the good news of Jesus, how he died for our sins with the promise of eternal life and uh, with him and through him. Paul was relatable to those around him, but it, it wasn't relatability for just for the sake of it. It was intentional. Paul was always about sharing the gospel. Evangelism became part of his DNA. So, summing up, some further final lessons I want to leave with you. Whatever happened to your, in your life in the past, or what you may be facing ahead, remember that we cannot live in the regrets of the past or in the dread of the future. Paul's shipmates made a very bad decision that put them in a dangerous predicament. It wasn't Paul's fault that he was in the storm riding on a doomed ship. He had no control over that decision. But what he shows us in Scripture is here, he had control over his reaction to a bad decision made in his life, as should you and me. He could have said, oh, woe is me and cower in fear. No. Paul chose to pray and intercede for the lives of the people on that ship. Instead of living in regrets of the past, Paul prayed in the present. Instead of living in the dread of the future, Paul asked God to change it. Sound familiar? Yes, be in regular prayer. A preacher man I once heard wrote that prayer is like a skeleton key. What he said was this, prayer is the key used to lock the door of the past and unlock the door of the future. I like that. The next point may not be quite as obvious, but is just as important. And it concerns the cargo that was carried in the hold. In verse 18, we read that the first thing the sailors threw overboard in the storm was the cargo, in the belief that it would prevent the ship from being sunk. We have to do the very same thing in our own lives. We carry mental and emotional baggage, and it may even be things that we may think have value and worth. Not necessarily talking about the physical possessions that weigh us down, although they can, but rather intangible things that make you and me who we are. Things like our education, our skills, abilities, family background, where you grew up, or anything else that you may put your confidence in. Some of us may not even realize what our personal baggage is. Maybe we have to seek the Lord for him to point that out. You know, in the book of Philippians, 
after listing all his impressive earthly credentials about how he was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin and he was a Pharisee, Paul writes, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Breaking that down further, and a little bit more Greek for you now. The word that Paul used for loss is the same word that Luke used when he described the loss of the cargo when the ship's crew threw it overboard. The Greek word is zemir, Z-E-M-I-A, zemir, which means to suffer, suffer loss, in this case by casting away. So, to apply that to our own baggage, the loss or casting away comes from our own actions. It is something deliberate that you do. Just as the crew of the ship deliberately threw the cargo overboard, we have to deliberately throw overboard those things in our life that would sink our boat, those things in our life that would hold us back. Whatever that may be, we may need to get rid of pride, arrogance, self-righteousness. That's just to name but few. But let's get down into our personal cargo hold and take a close, prayerful inventory. Let the Holy Spirit show you that today. Finally, I want to leave you with this thought. I wonder what impact encountering Paul left in the lives of all those other 275 passengers on the ship. The sailors, the ship's captain, the soldiers, the other prisoners, Julius the centurion, even the other believers like Luke who accompanied Paul. How faith-affirming that whole trip must have been for them. If time allowed, I could have gone into what happened after the shipwreck when they landed on Malta, as, you know, all the multiple healings by the laying on of hands, amongst other things. It's difficult for me to see how, after you've witnessed all that, to remain the same. For those who didn't know Jesus before that, I would have thought that their curiosity must have been piqued about our Savior at the very least. I wonder how many of them went on to become followers of Jesus. Please remember, that same Holy Spirit in Paul also lives in us as believers. Thank you for listening. God bless you.